the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. Wait for the show. Really couldn't. In the last hour, um, Manchin says he doesn't really support the idea of demonizing 700 people in the country who have, for the most part, made the world a better place by their mere existence, who are responsible for private economy as opposed to government central economy. But it's interesting as you watch everything that's going on and the assault of the American Marxist, the Democrat, hiding behind that political party, the Soviet, the socialist, communist. And you see how they are reinstating these old grifts, because that's what they are. They're, they're, They're grifts. And it reminds me of income tax in general. When income tax passed, most people don't understand. It was there was always a, a tax on your on your goods that uh, you imported into your state that you purchased. So the government was running on that. What they knew was if they could find a way to have a confiscatory tax system, they would have endless an endless future of constant graft where they would be able to seize from all aspects of society. But the way that they sold it was the same way this tax is being sold. It was only going to affect very, very small percent, less than 1% of the citizens were going to be exposed to income tax. And here we are 120 years later, and everybody with a job is paying taxes. Now, whether they are reimbursed more than they pay, then the answer is 61% of citizens pay no federal tax. There's other ways, but they're still paying taxes on top of taxes on top of taxes. In fact, under a feudalist system, which is what Joe Biden and his uh, economic scheme is, is feudalism, you're almost better off not earning. In the very beginning, there were smart people that made money. There were principled people that made money. In fact, there are people that through their charity, through their philanthropy, you still benefit. Chicago is the hub of philanthropy of rich men, not just Rockefeller, but a guy, one of my favorite stories, a guy by the name of Arthur Cutton. Arthur Cutton was a Canadian who decided to, he was one of nine kids. He decided to go about his way and make his way through life. He just wanted to be productive in his life as opposed to 99% of Americans today. He's also one of the first commodity guys. He was a genius. Genius. In fact, on top of the Board of Trade, the goddess of grain that sits upon the top of the Board of Trade was actually confiscated from his property. 
His land donations are Woodlawn Cemetery. He's numerous golf course. He also has Hidden Lake, for those of you that like uh, what they call forest preserves. The government stole his land from him. When they implemented the, the tax, he fought it. But it was in Chicago. And even back then, it was the beginning of the mafia. The mafia was well in place. They had all the judges. And uh, he decided, rather than pay, he'd go back to his native land of Canada, where he lived the rest of his life under indictment. And the reason he didn't want to pay is that he correctly articulated that when he made money, he benefited society with that money. He invested in multi, multi-businesses. When he made a lot of money, he gave back to the people. In fact, he's one of the main reasons you have the YMCA and other organizations. And, and the benefits of, of wealthy people giving charity, genuine charity to the people, is what you take for granted. And what you have become acclimated to is the government misappropriating those funds stealing those funds, paying off their son-in-laws with those funds and their sons and the rest of them. That now is normal, and the expectation is acceptable of being robbed. You're, you're prepared to be robbed. You're prepared to pay $8,000 for a toilet seat. That all makes sense to you. And in all this talk of taxing people who somehow, through a system that was meant to seize everyone's income, to keep them down and to restrain them, as long as the group is small enough that's being demonized, the American people, most of whom, most of whom, are made up of covetous, greedy, butter-handed, good-for-nothings, like Democrats. See, and those are the people that support the idea that we pick out these 700 villains, that they're so rich, they don't need their money. Rather than focusing on all of the blessings, the true, true growth in an economy they provide for this country, it is them that makes this country a better place. Not the government that has been misappropriating your funds for a hundred years easy. I think you could argue for 140. Because in those last 140 years, the mafia government system has been in place. And that mafia system is we've given some sort of virtue to people because they hide behind the job title that starts with government. When all you need to do is look at any bureaucracy and any politician to see the fraud. Any single one. But my favorite ones to look at are the ones who are from the sewer of Chicago. Because if, in fact, and I do believe that the Marxist mafia has a capital, it is Chicago. Chicago is the hub of the most communists, the most Marxists, the most militant. And I don't just mean the weather underground and all the rest of it. I mean the philosophy of corrupted socialism. They are able to hide behind the virtue of liberal. We still call these rat bastards liberal. They're not liberal. They're crooked gangsters. Merrick Garland is one of my favorite. Because the whole time when, when Barack Obama was going to put him up before the Supreme Court, you were told, what a, what a good guy. What a good guy he is. But I'm here to tell you, any Chicagoan that still calls himself a Democrat isn't calling himself that because he believes with political nuances to policy. He's calling himself that because he wants to identify he is in the organized gangster government mafia. That's what a Chicago Democrat is. And if you're lucky enough, and this is, this is why I have nothing but contempt for Rod Blagojevich, if you're lucky enough to latch on to one of their daughters, 
even though they're repulsive and it's three Viagras and six Chevys to get you going, you too can be a multi-multi-millionaire. You've testified you know nothing about the violent sexual assault that happened in Loudoun County, even though it's one of the bases oh, wait. I in this sexual letter. Assault. I read about I it. to play about the son-in-law. Something else. A big part of this, this letter is that they're upset about parents not wanting critical race theory taught. Your son-in-law makes a very substantial sum of money from a company involved in the teaching of critical race theory. Did you seek and receive a decision from an ethics advisor at the Department of Justice before you carried out an action that would have a predictable financial benefit to your son-in-law? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats. I just asked a question. Did you seek an ethics opinion? It has no predictable. Did you seek an ethics opinion? It has no. Did you seek an ethics opinion? Judge, you know how to ask questions and answer them. Did you seek an ethics opinion? You asked me whether I sought an ethics opinion about something that would have a predictable effect on something. This has no predictable effect in the way that you're talking about. So if critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make more money? memo has nothing. If critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make more money? Yes or no? This memorandum has nothing to do with critical race. Will you answer if you sought an ethics kind of curriculum? Will you answer if you sought an ethics? Isn't this beautiful? I know you're aggravated, but isn't it beautiful from the aspect of a scam? It is absolutely beautiful. This is the most powerful law official in government. He has got a scam going that is going to enrich his son-in-law And if his daughter takes after the father, his very handsome daughter along with him. This is a scam that you must just sit back and say, whew, this is great. But the bad guys in our society are the businessmen. The men who go on to create something, provide something, and profit immensely. That's the bad guy. But these people here, these are the people that are going to be in charge of the redistribution of the money they steal From everybody. That's how you know there's something really, really wrong. Because the fact that they have support, and any support, tells you just how many of your fellow countrymen are scum. Because anybody that could defend this is scum. Or they're in on it. The son-in-law, for example. He's driving home in his... What do you think he's got? You think it's a Bentley? Nah, too flashy. He's driving home in his S550, waiting for the little missus in her Range Rover. As they go to their North Shore house, look down on the very scum that support them, and look down on the people who refuse to buy this as stupid. It's a great system here in America. It is an oligarch. It is a, it's an absolute perfect fraud. And it will continue in perpetuity because this goes on. And guess who comes to his rescue? I'll bet you can guess. I am answering the best I can. Yes or no? Did you seek an ethics opinion? This memorandum has nothing... Did you seek an ethics opinion? This memorandum has nothing to do with... General, are you refusing to answer if you sought an ethics opinion? I'm telling you that there's no possible... So you're saying no. Just answer it directly. You know how to answer a question directly. Did you seek an ethics opinion? I'm telling you that if I thought there was any reason to believe there was a conflict of interest, I would do that, but I cannot... Why do you refuse to answer the question? Why won't you just say no? I'm sorry. You're not going to answer the question? I'm sorry. Say, ask the question again. Did you, you seek an ethics opinion? It. I'm saying again, I would seek an ethics opinion in... So ethics. no is the answer, correct? There was a Senator, your time is up. There he is. 
It's little Dick Durbin. Chicago's very own. There he is with the monotone and the very sexually frustrated, rather portly wife. Here he is to the rescue of the Chicago mobster. Let the record reflect the attorney general refuses to answer whether he thought, sought an ethics opinion. And apparently ethics are not a terribly high priority in the Biden Justice Department. I don't think that's a fair reflection of what I said. <laughs> then answer the question. Senator, you've gone way beyond any other senator's time. I this think little dick. You ought to be at least respectful of other senators at this point. Mr. Chairman, do you know the answer whether he sought an ethics opinion? I think you have exchanged that so many times we know where we stand. Now, uh, we now have... Now, the rather portly Mrs. Durbin, the rather portly, I'm, I'm guessing she needs help if she drops something, probably one of those little inventions that a capitalist make, help her pick up her keys and her glasses and whatnot. She's a hell of a lobbyist. Oh, but she is. In fact, every company that buys that little pork chop seems to get its benefit from the government. He's got a nephew or a cousin or some other morphodite that looks like a Durbin. That's a shallow gene pool, but a very wealthy one. This, these are the people that the taxes don't touch. So they want to go after 700 billionaires. I got a counter proposal. Let's go on. Let's go after 535 gangsters who've been good for nothing. their miserable lives. Yet all, all of them are millionaires and all of them have spouses or nephews or short in the pants stepsons that are multi multi-millionaires. So you want to tax the so-called rich? The only real 1% are these scum who've never worked for a dollar in their life but stole millions. I say we tax the Congress. That's what I want to do. I want to tax the Congress. What do you say? You think we can get support? 312-642-5600. Tom Jones? Oh, I love Tom Jones. When men were men, nobody put on He's his hands about like Tom Love him. You think that Mrs. Durbin could get in Tom Jones' Zanzibelts? I don't think she could fit in them. I don't think she could get her ankle in Tom Jones' Zanzibelts. That's just me. You know why they're not nervous about their new rules of the IRS monitoring their bank accounts? Because the IRS is the Democrat Mafia's Gestapo. You think the IRS is going to look into Mrs. Durbin lobbying firm? I don't think so. You think they're going to look into Hunter Biden's investments? Absolutely not. You think they're going to look into, I don't know, Lori Lightfoot? Ooh, that would be interesting. Her law firm pays her 400000 plus, and she's not even a lawyer anymore. Hmm. It's legalized corruption. Corruption. They want you to think the mafia are two old Italian guys talking about the spread of the Bears game. They're not. The mafia's little Dick Durbin and his cohorts. The greatest mafia figures aren't just Mike Madigan. Harry Reid. You remember him? Oh, but Harry's rich. I wonder if he's nervous about the billionaire tax. Something tells me he's not. Because the IRS isn't going to look at one Democrat. They're coming for anybody who isn't. Trish, Northside. Yes, hi. I was. Uh, this might be a little lengthy, but I'd like to get it out. It's good talking to you. I listen to you every day. I appreciate um, that, Trish. Yep. I was uh, watching a documentary with Sally Hemming and Thomas Jefferson, and I was listening about the slaves had no rights over their bodies and how their children can be just taken away from them. And uh, I got a thought. (laughs) Oh, that's what's going on today. Now, let me make this clear. Mm -hmm. If you as an adult want to take the vaccine, you're free to do that. Nobody's complaining. That's your choice. 
But when it comes to saying it's an executive order, which is not written anyway, a mandate from the master on high, um, we're not slaves anymore. Mm-hmm. You cannot have my child. You, I might take your vaccine, but as far as my child is concerned, this is my child. My child does not belong to the property of the plantation of President Biden. Uh, this is my, for those parents who don't want their children to be taken away. Uh, you're not a slave. We're free. You're not supposed to give your child away if you don't want to. If you want to get your child a vaccine, you go right ahead. You go right ahead. But for those parents, we are free people. We've been free from the slave plantation. This is not a slave plantation, Mr. Biden. We're not under any mandate that we have to do what you say. These are our children. And we, they're, they're not your children. I love it. And when you think about that mindset that you have, which I completely agree with, think about it also about the money, about your money. This is a group of people that are deciding how much of your money they're going to allow you to keep. That, too, is something that was customary when people were slaves. Proving more and more in this country, you're really not free. You're just a slave. And you know what I like about you, Trish? I'm guessing that you are going to wear the hoodie that I'm about to give you very well. So you stay on hold. You get a hoodie. I love that. Thank you very much. David and Lansing. Uh, Sean, um, I don't know if you've been following this, but Twitter sales went up 37% year over year. And I got so upset about that. You got yourself a little Twitter fetish, don't you? I think you got yourself a Twitter fellowship. And David, you know what I find peculiar about you? You're not on Twitter, but yet you're obsessed with Twitter. Yeah, because I see it at the, the amount of people using it as a measure. Like half those people have to be like against Biden, yet they're using this company that's censoring them. I got. I made a joke. You want to hear oh, the joke? It's very funny. Would you like to hear it? Well, I, well I, I'm dying for you to break your streak. Go ahead. Be funny. <laughs> okay. So a uh, Yankee gives a rebel some ammunition during the Civil War. Uh-huh. What's the difference between that and a MAGA member using Twitter? Is Nothing. that the joke? Is that the joke? There's well, listen, no I think Lenny Bruce's title is safe. David Philancine, you don't get a sweatshirt. Not funny. Thank you. Mike on the north side. How you doing, buddy? Where you been, kid? Well, they had me restricted for a while. They didn't like my joke in the morning. Yeah. All right. All right. So, just, just I'm go. back. I wanted to. I wanted to tell you, Ovid Damaris wrote a book, Captive City: Chicago in Chains. It's out of print, but you can buy it used at bookstores. It documents how the Chicago outfit put its sons and grandsons and nephews in the legitimate businesses, and then used the government to direct businesses. Now, Mike, they I'm going to ask you, I've been, looking, I've been looking for the Table of Wisdom LLC, you know the one, that Ed Burke's a part of and the two sitting Cook County judges and all of the old Democrat mafia gangsters. I went to the old Golden Bear. They weren't there. I went all up and down Harlem Avenue. I even turned right on diversity, which I hate to do. I couldn't find these guys. Could you get a hold of that meeting? I'd like to see what they think of real estate prices in the sewer of Chicago they helped destroy in the it's, future. Do you mind? They meet on, they meet on Western Avenue. All right. Oh, boy. At Frank Anello's in Beverly. Beverly? I got to go down there. Oh, God. All right. I got to find a pair of shoes I hate. All right. Go ahead. 
Thank you very much, Mike. I got to go to break. I'm glad you're healthy. I got to go to break. Sorry, I went long. We'll be back after this. Bull here. Love it. One thing's for sure. Spending by everybody is going to go through the roof. Not just government. But by you. The tax of inflation. Jonathan Bidlack, Director of Governance Program at R Street, founder and president of the Coalition to Reduce Spending and the creator of SpendingTracker.org. Jonathan, how are you, my friend? Jonathan, I must have offended you. I called you a friend. Are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Sorry about that. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. No problem. Listen, um, do you think that people understand inflation is not by happenstance, but by policy? Mm-hmm. Do you think they get that? I think inflation is a tough topic. You know, I think it's a it, it, even for even for economists who study this topic all the time, right? It's a very difficult uh, topic to understand. You know, what causes prices to go up? I think the other the other component to that is that you know, look, we haven't had an instance of of bad inflation in this country in a long time, and so you know, the American experience with inflation has generally been uh, you know been more remote. I mean, maybe maybe you know uh, you know people in the great the greatest generation obviously have had that experience, but, uh, you know, millennials and younger really haven't. And so I think that when you put those two things together, that it's a, it's complicated and also that we don't really have a recent experience with it, at least in terms of, you know, talking CPI. Um, I think it makes it very, a very challenging topic for, for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. It's funny that you say that because, you know, I, I liked you right away. The first time I interviewed you, uh, my producer said it on when we started the talk, I said, boy, I like this guy. And I looked you up and I realized I'm born in 1967. You're born in 1983. In fact, your entire life was an experience of arguably one of the respites against socialism. And you caught that Reagan boom that you could argue went to 2008. So you don't have those memories I have of the people fist fighting at the gas pump, of the people losing their 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 savings and their livelihood and losing their homes to massive, massive inflation of the 70s. It was it was an experience that when I lived through it, it helped me um, pay attention to exactly why that happened and exactly why, you know, I was born into a, my grandfather owned a business of why he people couldn't pay their bills and all the rest of it. And it's something when you really think about it, we've had 50 years of prosperity and it almost explains why so many Young people are ignorant to the dangers of bad policy. Yeah, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, uh, born of ignorance per se. I mean, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, you know, our generation, while we haven't necessarily experienced, uh, uh, you know, inflation in terms of, say, uh, you know, maybe prices at the grocery store in quite the same way. If you look at the housing market, for example, I mean, what is that, right? But, but, but really, you know, really a pretty, pretty significant case of inflation. And, you know, it's been, or, it's been millennials and, and now, now Gen Zers who have been priced out of being able to afford a home. So I think, I think, you know, it's a, it is a bit of a challenge in that, in that I don't think we always think of some of these things as inflation, right? I mean, the stock market going up, for example. So a lot of these types of things, you know, we uh, the, 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 we've we've had these sort of these experiences, um, but maybe we don't conceive of them as being sort of you know fitting within the traditional definition of inflation. Yeah, and you know, in my business, I I, I sell real estate. I've been doing it for years and years, 
And people always make that mistake. They describe the, the talking point, right? Oh, housing is going up when the reality is you're going down. Housing has always been an offset and an inflation hedge. Real estate in general has. Now, there's other components. There's yep. other nuances to it. But when people um, say, oh, my God, the housing in South Florida is increased, what they don't take into account is the amount of dollars that have been pumped into the market, that housing isn't increasing. You're shrinking into deflation and devaluation of currency. So to me, I think it is it is to a certain point. It's complex when you when you go into the nuances, but the simplicity of when you print more of the currency, you are weakening it. And it will show in places you may not have been able to recognize. But when it hits, you will recognize it because you lose everything. And I, I don't think that governments can get a handle on it the way in which they sell that they can. And I think our particular Federal Reserve and our people that are in office are economic illiterates and morons. I really do. It's the only thing that can explain why they'd want to print up another $5 trillion. It, it seems to be the exact well, I think wrong that, thing to do. I, I, I think a big part of the picture is that, you know, I, and, and we talked about this before, is, you know, a lot of, um, uh, you know, the United States has a lot of advantages that other countries don't necessarily have. And so, you know, to some degree, right, just like, you know, maybe the British Empire in the, you know, 16, 1700s, you know, there's the ability to to be, I, I would argue, a little bit less fiscally responsible um, because effectively we're the reserve currency of the world. Um, you know, lawmakers throughout the world are not necessarily, in other countries, are not necessarily like this. I mean, you know, the best example, I think, is probably Switzerland, which, you know, has, is sort of notorious for having, you know, really good fiscal management. There's a reason why the whole concept of a Swiss bank account exists. And in a large part, it's because, you know, Switzerland has been very, uh, just you know, very um, uh, practical and very smart with their with their fiscal policy. And, and there's sort of this understanding that, um, you know, that their currency is going to is going to remain strong. In other places of the world, that's not always been the case. And, you know, the United States, again, has this has, you know, advantages, maybe that, that, that some other places don't have. And so that lets us get away with it. I mean, you know, right now, even even though our, our fiscal picture is pretty terrible, I mean, you know, if you look at the European Union or you look at, you know, Australia or some of these other places, you know, oftentimes the U.S. economy is, is stronger and, and the U.S. Fiscal, fiscal picture is even it's still better as bad as it is. And so, you know, but of course, it, what you're pointing out is that that doesn't necessarily last forever. And and, you know, presumably policymakers should be taking that into account. Right. And acting responsibly. And when you have a case where we have people that are making this decision, one party rule, people who are making this decision for the most part have been in government for half a century. And you see that so many of them have profited from their ridiculous spending through various means of corruption, of lobbyists and family members and the rest of it. There's nothing to stop them at this point from just doing it again. And that whole argument of, well, we're still the best. You know, we're all doing the bad thing, but in the, in the position of bad, we're the best of the bad. I, I hate that argument. I really do. Am I crazy? Am I just too fundamental? Am I too down with uh, uh, principles and capitalism and the idea that we need some no, money I mean, it, to it, 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 it definitely is a, is a bad argument. I mean, I, I think, look, I mean, the... Uh, 
you know, you have, uh, again, I mean, you have uh, this, this disconnect oftentimes where the consequences that come from fiscal irresponsibility aren't necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily uh, happen right away. And so you'll have people in office who, who take certain actions that, you know, then the, 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 you know, the proverbial chickens come home to roost, you know, down the road, but those people are no longer in office anymore. And, you know, that's a, I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about the tool that I built, Spending Tracker. And one of the reasons that Spending Tracker is so powerful, in my opinion, is that, you know, you're not just looking at how much did the debt increase, you know, while someone was in office or, you know, how much, how much spending took place while someone was in office. You're actually looking at how much new spending did they kick into motion. So, so you kind of get this sense of, you know, over time, what are they really responsible for, even if it doesn't happen while they're while they're actually in office and you know that's i think uh, again a big part of the big part of the picture here is that is that we have members and 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 presidents and 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 you know officials at all levels who we elect or end up being appointed who you know take certain actions that may not be responsible but again those consequences could be decades down the road and so that that disconnect is a big you know difficulty that we have within our political system so i'm a speculator at heart right so i like to do this where we we take what's happening we try to pan out and look at the big picture and i want to i want to see if you agree with me and you, you know obviously if you don't tell me why so there was a big tell last month and that tell was nobody talks about the revenue that our government is making each month setting a new record of revenue the government is taking in you know conservatively what 330 billion dollars a month Right. I mean, if, if you if you look at what they're taking in a revenue yet. Yeah. Came, and we had a record highs, record highs. <laughs> and in order to get another month of negotiations in this fraud bill, they had to imp, they had to approve a half a trillion dollar extent increase in credit. So what you're telling me by that mere action is this government cannot keep the Ponzi scheme of its economy running without spending 800 billion a month am i am i wrong the way i'm looking at it well i mean here, here's the thing i mean you know at, at the end of the day it, it, it all comes down to what investors are willing to whether or not they're willing to buy u.s debt so so you know in the in the short term as we said i mean i think it's i think it's pretty clear you know investors look at the united states and they say well you know we may not be that responsible with our finances but we do have a lot of things working in our favor we have a a very well educated workforce we have you know arguably the most productive workforce in the country in in the world rather and so so you know they look at sort of the potential the 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 you know the the gdp potential of the united states over time and they say that you know we have a lot that we that we you know bring to the table that you know, I think makes them willing to look the other way, um, and they're particularly willing to look the other way because of the point I made earlier, which is that you know, as, as bad as we may be in certain ways, we we oftentimes are better than uh, better than the alternatives, and so so you know, but but again, like that that doesn't hold for all time, right? I mean, you know, it's very plausible that that other places in the world will be more responsible, will continue, I mean, we talk a lot about China, of course, but, you know, the the real the real threat from China, to the degree that there's a threat there, is, is probably economic more than it is military. Uh, you know, the fact that, that they may have, you know, a large population that is getting increasingly, uh, increasingly educated, becoming increasingly productive, um, that is, you know, 
that is the that is the real uh, the real you know potential threat to the U.S. economy, and and it's only really a threat to the U.S. economy if we don't have our house in order when you know as as they they continue to develop. And and you know this because you're a numbers guy and you're looking at things constantly. We have managed to fraud the American citizen by pretending that there is demand for debt when the reality is we are the largest holders of our own debt. So we have, in essence, have created a straw man who is monetizing debt. And that is something that has collapsed nations throughout history. Yet for some reason, people don't want to learn. And uh, when it all collapses, I'm going to apply to spendingtracker.org for a job. Do you think my interview went well today? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think you know. Look at the at the end of the day, the the spending is what matters, right? That that is the that is the that is the thing that drives the debt by by and large, especially when when you know we're we're bringing in record revenue, and you know, and I always like to say, spending is that it's a two for issue. If you keep your spending down, there's no longer an incentive to raise taxes. There's no longer that incentive to go and and you know take on uh, take on more debt or have to you know have to uh, borrow. To, fi- to finance all of this consumption, um, and you know, and things like the debt limit, which we we sort of fight about all the time, you know, as a, a show of political theater, um, you know, that that problem goes away too. So, you know, at the root of all of these issues, really, really is, you know, what are we what are we spending, and why are we spending as much as we are? Yeah, theft. Um, Jonathan Bidlack, you know, I love when you join me. Now, I got one, just one quick question: Who gets audited first, the guy who creates SpendingTracker.org or the guy who calls the government a Marxist mafia on radio every day? Which one of us? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> Enjoy your audit, Jonathan Bidlack. I truly appreciate it. He's the director of governance program in our street and the founder of SpendingTracker.org. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll be back with your calls and comments after this. Perspective. It is what the Marxist, the Soviet, the socialist, the communist all try to control. Your perspective. If for one minute you looked at things the way they are, you'd feel completely different about your life, about country, about freedom. Instead, you're listening to a bunch of swindlers who have conned you into the idea. The people who should be trusted with the money are the only ones that steal it on a consistent basis. Corey Woodlawn. Hey, I wanted to say this, Sean. I was following some of this stuff on Facebook, and it seems like the people that are commenting for the budget are the people that work for the city and the government. Everyone else seems to be pretty blind as to what these guys have done to them. I mean, they shut down your business. They got in between your contract between you and your tenant. You can't even get money out your property anymore. And then they sat back and, sh- and then tell you they're going to raise your property taxes? Why aren't the people responding correctly? That's my question. I'm, I'm, well, you know, if you could answer that, you could have you could answer the fall of every great nation. You realize we are literally following the exact path of every nation that collapsed to a totalitarian government, to a corrupt government. Go through all of the South America. This is exactly how they govern their, their citizens. That's why it's always best, Corey, to work for the abuser than to be the abused. That's why the municipal worker, their pensions are sacred. Their livelihood is sacred, and I'm not bashing all of them, but do you see the system that they, that they recreated is a system that is, will always get support because it's the people that are gaining their sustenance from it and the people that want in on that scam. So it's hard to be a free man in a corrupt world. Thank you very much, Corey, but we, we end up living better. We're free. Jim in Elgin. Hey, Sean, good to hear you. 
I love your line, Democratic Mafia, Chicago Democratic Mafia. Is that your line? That's my line. I created it all by myself. You know, you embarrassed. You sound. I, I love well, it. First of all, I love the content of what you're it. saying, but your voice is very Durbin-like. Are you related to the Durbins? No, no. I've had my clients tell me that. I'm the financial advisor. I call in about Social Security. I oh, told you some bad jokes. But yeah, there, no, here's it. my point. Yeah. Alderman Burke, right? My wife and I grew up in Chicago near in 55th and Kedzie's area, and Alderman Burke, that illustrious, two-faced, rotten hypocrite, was our alderman. I actually taught his kids. He had some nice kids. And his, and his wife, Ann, who is a Supreme Court justice, she's a sweetheart, so to speak, but their pockets are full. And here's how, what a hypocrite Burke is. I'm a carrying concealed guy. Burke has been anti-gun all his life in political life. His father, for 50 years, was the alderman, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's generation. Imagine how much graft and corruption and greed over a hundred years of being the alderman on the southwest side of Chicago. So when they raided friendly Alderman Burke's uh, offices on 51st Street, guess what they found? What? 27 unregistered weapons, 27 unrepresentative unre yeah. uh, handguns, and he was always against handguns, always against citizens yeah. protecting themselves. Oh, and do you know why, Sean? He has a protective detail cust uh, yeah. custodians, 24-7, four guys. It's the greatest duty yeah. in the world, but they get it. And you know what? They're, he's not going to get robbed, raped, love or it. pillaged. Listen, I want, right? I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. I want you to find out where there are more Rolexes yeah. or guns. That'll be the next call. Thank you so much for listening. Corrupt bastards live like kings. We live like slaves. Now it's time for Tom Beck in the news. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration Declaration of Independence in the other. He's Sean Thompson. And this is the Sean Thompson Show. I cannot believe we already burned the first hour. I mean, I feel like it's things just started. I still want to talk about Merrick Garland. Not to mention Ted Cruz. I am so excited about november 6th i'm gonna you know I, I i was lucky enough to be at an event but uh i'm gonna be on stage with ted cruz i don't know if i want to give him a kiss or a noogie i don't know we'll decide that later on but i'm just reading in uh one of the outlets the news outlets cdc yeah you're gonna need a fourth COVID. that <laughs> can't even say it you're gonna need four of them i don't know i think three is where we should draw the line but you're gonna need four of them Simultaneously with that, the Biden mandate, you know, for the White House people to get it and the government, that's going to be pushed back till after the holidays. New York Police Department top cop urges jab before Friday could send a quarter of the police force home. This is just great. Aren't you having a good time? All of the idiots, all of the never Trumpers. Are you proud of yourselves? You absolute moron scum, moron scum that you are. Now, you know, I love the callers. I love the people in the show because this show is not for them. This is for us, the third of society that wants to be Americans, that wants freedom and liberty, that recognizes the scams for what they are. I don't give a rip what butter-handed pansies think about anything. If you're dumb enough to vote for a Democrat, shut your mouth. You think I care what you think of anything? Look what you've done to my country, you scum that you are. 
So when it comes to callers, I love them. Don from Bloomingdale is a caller I've had since the very beginning. I love him. But apparently he doesn't pay attention to me, and he wants to talk about men in costumes. Don, Bloomingdale. Sean, I know you like hypocrisy, and it just dawned on me today that we've got one coming up on Friday. Remember in the middle of the year, and I just got off the phone with the Major League Baseball offices because I had to ask them the question. Remember in the middle of the year when uh, Georgia voted their new uh, voting rules into effect and Major League Baseball took a stand and said it was racist and they were they pulled the all-star game from Atlanta, Georgia and moved it to the more restrictive state of Colorado in Denver. Well, Friday night, the Atlanta Braves will be hosting the World Series game number three. So my question to the Major League Baseball office was, if it was right to do it then, is it right to do it now? And he had no answer. Well, you know, to me, you're arguing with people that hate you. To me, you're asking people who are scum for approval. And to a certain extent, we have a flaw that we seek their acceptance. You you articulated the problem. There's no need for his comment or his actions. He's a scum by those actions. These people that are behind this divisiveness, these people that are willing to indict strangers for what I think is the is is just a horrific violation of everything that's right and wrong, the idea that... Me, somebody who thinks of people as individuals, looks at a group of people and, uh, and somehow I should be judged a racist because I don't vote for scum Marxist crime figures like the Democrats. You know, so I, I don't even want to entertain their ideas of anything. And I'll tell you the truth, Don, this whole country would be better off if, if men and women stopped watching other grown men and women play sports. I think we'd all be better off if we paid attention to what the hell's going on with our laws and our politicians. Thank you, though, Don. I appreciate the phone call. I love the callers. But I'm going to tell you. Why I don't care about people who are dumb enough, corrupt enough, covetous enough, ignorant enough, or communist enough to vote for Joe Biden. There was an Irish gypsy that was part of the Tea Party, used to be on this show. A friend of mine just sent me this. Not that I monitor Joe Walsh's anything. I think he's a piece of dung. Joe Walsh on Twitter. Dear Republicans, since you don't have any interest in investigating a violent attempt to overthrow American election. Now, what the scumbag Joe Walsh is talking about is the January 6th. I don't have any interest in your calls to investigate how parents are being treated at school board meetings. Sincerely, a former Republican and a real piece of dung. I added that last part. I did it for me and you. And this is the kind of people that I want to separate myself from. This Irish gypsy loser, loser that he is. And I don't mean loser because he lost an election. He's a loser as a man. He's not a man, Joe Walsh. Never was. He's a con artist. He's an Irish gypsy con artist. But he's the kind of people that vote for Biden. So you're now going to seek their approval on anything? I don't care if this moron gets up tomorrow or doesn't. I think he's garbage, just like all the rest of them who vote for these kind of people. Just like the kind of people who support the Merrick Garland's. And what he's doing and his misuse of power that he should not have. But he got that power. You know why? Republicans, too, voted for, approved Merrick Garland's appointment. Republicans pointed it. And until we cleanse ourselves and purge ourselves of political whores and pimps, it's just going to be managing the collapse of society. Because the people who say they're Republicans, the people who say they're part of your Tea Party or your movement, when you're not watching them, they hate you. They have contempt for you. They want to misuse their authority and misuse government against you. That's just the way it goes. You've testified you know nothing about the violent sexual assault that happened in Loudoun County, even though it's one of the bases 
in this letter? I read about it since then. Okay. You told the House last week you knew nothing about it. Not know at the time. No. Okay. This week, the court concluded that a 14-year-old girl was violently raped by a boy wearing a skirt in the girls' restroom. The school district covered it up, released the boy, sent him to another school where he violently raped another girl. The father who Mr. Holly just showed you was the father of, of, of the first girl. He was understandably. Do you understand why a parent would be upset when your daughter is raped at school? The school board covers it up and then lies to you and claims there have been no assaults. We have no instances of assaults in our bathroom. And that was a flat out lie, as the court concluded this week. Do you understand why the parent would be upset? Absolutely. And is any expressions of upset are completely protected by the First Amendment. Except you just called him a domestic terrorist. I never called him that. That's not correct. This letter calls him a domestic terrorist. You based a direction to the FBI, an official direction from the attorney general on this letter. And I'll tell you what, the the NSBA is so embarrassed of this letter, they've apologized for it and retracted it. But you don't apparently have the same willingness to apologize and retract what you did. Let me. So what are the ramifications of this? By the way, whoever called up to correct me on divisiveness or divisiveness, it's whatever I said it is, stupid. Go listen to somebody else. Um, the ramifications of this, of this corruption, of this fraud, is that Merrick Garland, Merrick, named from birth to be a moron. Named from birth to be a scumbag. Merrick Garland issued a threat to the people that they will be intimidated and they will be investigated by one of their former wings or their current wings of the Gestapo. The FBI. Without their propaganda of the 30s, you would have realized they were just a corrupt organization created by somebody who liked to wear panties. That's all they are. Sorry, boys. That's how I see it. I'm sure some of you are good guys, but the upper echelon, scum. And you're going to investigate parents who push back against this nonsense that our kids are being indoctrinated against. And now, to see this happen is something to watch and something to hear. This is in Minnesota. And by the way, the woman who is trying to intimidate the parent and get his address, she's everything you expect in a teacher union representative. She's 340 pounds of love handles on her ears. It's worth you just looking it up. But I want you to hear it. I just want to remind everyone this is a business meeting of the school board. It is not a meeting that belongs to the public. Each speaker is asked to state his or her name and address for the record. Now, here's how it works. School board, your made-up bureaucracy. Everything you do is my business. You exist on my money, scum. And I'm the kind of person I pay twice because I would never have sent my kids to the indoctrination camp. So I work three jobs. My wife works. Everybody works. So we can avoid our kids being influenced by fat slobs such as yourself, not to mention Marxists. Failure to do so will result in an individual not being allowed to speak. John, can you give us your name and address, please? Um, my name is John Wicklin. I live in Mankato. Could I get your address, please, John? Um, I'd rather not, since you guys John, have it already. Your address, you can't speak. And I get so much... If I don't get your address, you can't speak. The building is his, fatso. You you're exist on the salary him and other parents provide, sloppy... That's just the fact. You're in charge of absolutely nothing. 
especially your own appetite. So you don't get to decide anything. You answer my questions, not the other way around. See, that's how the Merrick Garlands need to be talked to. It's time to put these morons back in their place. And you're going to threaten investigating me with your FBI? Or do you want my address to leak it to your domestic terrorists, Antifa, or BLM? Because I'll give you my address, honey. When I'm back in town, you all can come and see me at the Elmhurst Cigar House, 114 West Park Avenue. Bring it. But you're going to intimidate parents? You're going to intimidate people? That's what you're doing. And you're doing it because Merrick Garland, the chief bureaucrat, is ready, willing, and able to intimidate, extort, and imprison parents who speak out against the Marxist mafia calling itself a government. 312-642-5600. Halloween weekend, you think Pritzker's going to put a little piece of butter on his head and go as a pancake? That's what I think would be a good costume for that, Fatso. Looks like a pancake with shoes to me. Speaking of another fitness instructor... The Minnesota School Board champion trying to intimidate the parents, just like Merrick Garland and the Marxist Mafia. If you speak against them, you will be investigated. Uh, Property damage and eggs and everything else from fun people and their friends. John, you need to give your address. I live on 5th Street. Excuse me? I live on 5th Street. House number? You believe this? Hey, lady, you want to scare me? Take your clothes off. You're not scaring me with your Marxist mafia members. Thank you. All right. In order to speak, he had to give his address. Merrick Garland, ferret face, threatens the FBI to investigate parents. Hey, FBI, why don't you get off your ass and investigate Democrats, morons? Ed Burke, let's start there. What are you doing? How's your indictment going? Oh, are you going to go to court soon? How about Mike Madigan? How about the kid that's a lobbyist? How about all the relatives that are lobbyists? How about Durbin's wife? Want to start looking there? Don't worry, boys. She's not half as scary with her clothes on. Joe in Calumet City. Uh, yes, uh, Sean, uh, my wife and I want to congratulate you, and God bless you on your show format. Because you say pretty much everything that we would like to say if we had the platform. Oh, Joe, I love that. Thank you very much. You and your wife take care of each other. I appreciate that very much. It means 10 times more to me than any scumbag Marxist that hates me. Thank you, Joe. I do it for you people, not the scum. And by the way, that address is also for that Irish gypsy moron. You got there once. You're lucky you got out with your teeth. Tom, Sugar Grove. Yeah, Joe, they're, they're wanting to do this so that they can send all, no, I'm all Sean. their money. Joe out. is wiry and skinny and Irish and short in the pants, which explains the look on everybody's I'm face. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry about that, Sean. No. Uh, but they want to do that. What we ought to do is find out who these uh, school board members are and just give their addresses. Wouldn't that be something? They don't want to give that, that though, would, they don't like that no, idea. You give me your address. You're speaking. Why are you speaking if we don't know where you live? I, that makes it a fair playing field. I love that, Tom. Tom from Sugar Grove, I love it. That's going to be the new. When, now, to all you parents that still think that this indoctrination Marxist camp is going to educate your kids, I think the answer is very simple. Pull your kids out, get 10 of you, hire a teacher, or simply teach the class yourself. Go to Khan Academy. After all, that's what all these union slobs do. In between breaks, they tell your kids or they themselves go to Khan Academy to teach your kids what they need to know. They don't know anything. 
except how to steal paychecks and fluff up pensions with raises to cohorts. Craig in Mount Greenwood. Hey, Sean, thanks for taking my call. Man, that fella from Shooting Rover, whatever, he's stealing my thunder because that's exactly what came to my mind. When uh, parents and me go to these uh, meetings, got to turn that thing right around and say, listen, you're up there and everything at that you got, you got to go first. What's your what's your address? What's your phone number? What's all your contact information? And what gives you even any business? To, to, where, where is it that you have the right to even ask me that? Craig, even though you said the same thing, that Mount Greenwood accent you got just made it fun. So thank you very much for saying the same thing. Kurt in Elmwood Park, something tells me we got a chubby on the line. Kurt. Yeah, Sean, we've known each other a long time. And, I, and 20 years ago, you used to have a real run like Michelle Obama. Yeah, so let me quit tell making you fun of fat people just because you lost a lot of weight. Yeah. You weren't always thin. You can't drive a spike with a, with, with a hammer. You need a sludge, Kurt. All right? And my inseam is still eight inches longer than yours, tiny. Thank you very much for the phone call. We'll be back with your calls and comments after this. Yeah, you better. We just we had a caller in and hung up. He said he, he likes to he listen. He likes he lets his eight-year-old listen to me. I, now, listen, the girls said that that's, you know, there should be a warning label and he, she doesn't subscribe to it. I think it's perfectly fine. I never uh, was any different in front of my own kids. And, uh, well, wait a minute, reflecting on how that worked out. Maybe you shouldn't let your eight-year-old listen to me. But thank you. I appreciate the support. Tom in Blue Island. Sean, I got a couple things for you. Okay. First of all, what's wrong with being a fat guy or a former fat guy? I've been kind of big my whole life, and I've never had a problem with it. What's, well, it depends. What's are you are about? you are you big boned, or are you like um, are you like veal, like that sloppy Jello in a in a baggie, like Pritzker? Well, I'm six four and two seventy five. What's that? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. See? I said I'm six four and two seventy five. Yeah, but is it the, you know, like, can you, can you, like, run through a wall? I mean, are you the kind of guy, like, yeah, you could, work I with could, your whole I life, or are you soft and pampered? Could. What's that? No, and I could dunk a basketball when I was a freshman in high school, which was pretty good for a white guy back then. Really? Uh, I could fool around with two cheerleaders when so, I was a freshman in high school, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. First, the Mount Greenwood accent crack. I'm a Mount Greenwood guy. I'm a I'm a displaced Mount Greenwood. I, I wasn't a crack. I genuinely love Craig and Mount Greenwood. That isn't. I love well, I the way he a, speaks. What do you mean an accent? What it's accent? Not, we ain't got no accent. The Italians are the one that have an accent. You got an accent like a Dutch farmer. Are you sure you're from Mount Greenwood? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I am. Hundred six in Whipple. I want to, Sean. I want to ask you about Cat and Zara. I have a big problem with this. I believe, and I mean, again, coming from Mount Greenwood, I have. With no exaggeration, dozens of friends that are cops and retired cops. Sure. I think Kat and Zara is a union thug. Okay. And I believe the police should be forced to walk off the job. And I wanted to get your opinion so on that. I, I, I did a union yeah. thug, thug, but they should be forced to walk off the job. They, they should be, this, it'll crack the back of the mandate people. But okay. my my point is, Catanzara is no different from, uh, I used to be in the Roofers Union years and years ago. Mm-hmm. He's no different than any teamster. My dad was a teamster for 40 years. He's I don't know. I, here's the dog. thing. I, I don't know him, and I'm you know you know me. I'm, I mean, I'm, I love the union worker. I've never been a fan of the union upper echelon. Agreed. But I will, say, it, I will say this. He appears to me 
to be a real threat to Lori Lightfoot. He appears to me to be genuine in his protection of of their right to disclosure and to privacy. And I do think he's trying to push back, honestly, with integrity, the mandate. I, I don't know the nuances of his political belief structure. But I, I you know how else I, I came to my union opinions and why I think like this? It isn't because I have hatred for the upper echelon. I have actually worked for the upper echelon. My, my union stories... I would love to tell them to you. The show's not long enough. But one of the people who was most influential was a friend of mine's father who happened to be the president of a union. And I started at 16 years old working for him. Odd jobs. I worked in various unions. And he was a wonderful man. Now, now was he your typical union? No. He, he in his mind... He was providing a very, very good service, and he tried to do it in an honest, integrity way. He was filled around. Unfortunately, the, the, the mission became bigger than the worker, and at that point, it becomes an, an organization of fraud to me. And, uh, you know, he knew the pitfalls. He, he was one of the first people to give me an Ayn Rand book. Did you know that he was, I was 14 years old? He was a brilliant guy. So I don't, I don't necessarily hate guys because they're union presidents or they're in the union. I, I hate the corruption in the union that would misuse campaign contributions for security and, and, and real corruption in negotiations. That's what I hate about it. So I want to give him a break. I, I'm interested in talking to him, and uh, I might try and make that happen. But, Tom, I duly noted. How about that? Yes, Fair sir. Enough? I just, uh, you know, he wants to be the mayor, Sean. So that's Good. why, that's why Good. I question it is integrity. Good. Good. I, I, I want him to be the mayor. I prefer it over, over well, Lori Lightfoot. I agree. You know, so let's, sure, let's baby, steps, that, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. Thank you very much for the call. Steve on the uh, South side. Hey, Sean, you know, two things. One, short in the pants, Garland was only a few votes away from becoming a Supreme Court justice. Could you imagine that that clown had gotten in? No, that, no, I couldn't. <laughs> no. That's one thing. The other thing, I found out some great news, man. Chicago, with all of its budget woes, in Lightfoot's new budget is giving out five hundred dollars to low income families. So we gotta well, raise our taxes to give it away. I could be mistaken, but not everyone. Just the ones low income they, families. Low I think income it, families. I think it's a trial and I think it's just the ones that they hand pick. Further moving forward the corrupt Soviet system. But Steve Depends on whether they vote or not. Exactly. I got a clip I want to play, and let's let's discover it together. Thank you for the call. You know I appreciate it. And here's what Steve is referring to. The combination of the pandemic and ongoing violence has taken a toll on Chicago neighborhoods that historically have been neglected. In her 2022 budget... No, no, no. I'm going to let her talk. But the combination of the pandemic and historic criminal events... As if this just happened like a storm, like a tornado that blew. We don't know how it happened. We, we can't imagine. The politicians are the one that created the storm. They took away your business. They're not victims of it. They're perpetrators in that crime. As for the crime that mysteriously is just rising from the ground, they have decided to protect the perpetrator and victimize the victim all over again. They support thievery. Did you steal your limit? Are you at 990 a day? All right, you will you go free. How many people that they 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 catch they caught a week ago? How many return on the gun? I got a gun with a gun, he shoots a guy another day. We got a new rule called mutual combat. The problems of Chicago are because the Democrat mafia is in charge of it. 
this is just the destination these corrupt bastards take you to. Address Mayor Lori Lightfoot says it's time to change that. We must be intentional on the side of our vulnerable residents. Is anybody else sick of that phony anger in your voice? You're not a man. You could dress like one. You're not a man. You're not. You're not. You're not impressing anybody. You're nauseating everybody. Talk like how you normally talk. Don't give me this phony righteous indignation and anger. Act like a lady, will you please? Seniors, the homeless, the addicted, the jobless. As we have enough riches in this city to extend a hand to our brothers and sisters. Lightfoot is proposing to extend. Lightfoot made $600,000 last year. Anybody want to know if she extended a hand? Anybody curious if her law firm extended a hand? Anybody want to know? Or is she just talking to those few people not in on the scam in Chicago? And if you're not, you better recognize they're coming for you, kid. And you better pack up and pull an Arthur Cutton and retreat. And the city's hand by using $1.89 billion of federal COVID relief funds. $1.89 billion of relief funds stolen by the city of Chicago in their budget. And now here, for all you people that want something for nothing, you just sit there. We'll give you what we decide to give you. Money that must be used to help people. Hundreds of millions of dollars will help fund new programs for community safety, mental health, affordable housing, jobs, economic development, and immediate support for low-income residents. There is a brand new program. So in other words, all the same nonsense you've been doing, stupid. Now just the numbers are bigger and you're expecting a different result? Oh, let's see how this works out. And that's going to provide revenue support to the poorest, um, most affected people by this. And the, what we want to know is how it's going to be funded after the federal. Relief. How many of these poor people drive a $40,000 car? How many of the people on Section 8 housing drive a $40,000 car? How many of the poor people that say they're on welfare and need all kinds of assistance have $15,000 worth of jewelry, clothing? Boy, oh boy, you got to love Chicago. We're poor, looks awful flashy. Leaf money is gone. Some of the mayor's critics and city council voice the same concerns. That's all federal money being used as a sort of a slush fund. But at the end of the day, if we're using all this, creating all these new programs, why are we raising taxes? The mayor's budget. Well, you're an alderman, genius. Why don't you have the answers? Why are you asking questions? It calls for a minimal property tax increase. It's an increase to the property tax levy that was already built in from last year's budget. The rest of it is basically new property that's now coming on the rolls, and a small portion is uh, a tax hike. Well, how much tax abatement and TIF and free money and grants is given to the developer and his attendees? of the $5,000 a plate fundraiser that was given for Lori Lightfoot and her vest and her man costume in Winnetka last week. How, how, how's he doing with the money and the grants? How's that working? Other than that, Mayor Lightfoot is not proposing any new taxes, fees, or fines. No, are you lucky? Whew, dodged a bullet there. Sure, they took $1.9 billion of welfare money and mixed it in their budget like they were making a stew of corruption. So she took it easy on you, and you're only going to get a slight property increase. After all, it only affects the people who own property. Everybody else is just going to roll in on the welfare wagon train. 312-642-5600.
possible. Oh, yeah. Anything's possible. I might have missed Tom and Blue Island's point about uh, Kat and Zaro. Chris in Blue Island wants to tell me. Chris, thank you for calling. Hey, Sean, you're missing another point with uh, Tom. I think he's got a real good point with that uh, union leader. This is like uh, when Rich Daly had breakfast with uh, with Bush Jr. Like, this, Ooh, all yeah, the you same. better clear that up. Go ahead, shaft, right? Mm-hmm. Like the unions, if they were really something, they'd figure something out. They'd, they'd walk out, but they Back can't. When the firemen, they can't strike. Police and fire cannot strike. Part of the, exactly. It's part of the deal. Of what being, about the truckers? What about any truckers other? Truckers can strike. Truckers can strike. But you, you, you do understand, Why? ultimately, the, the, the philosophy of police and fire is that they work for us. And in their collective bargaining agreement, they cannot have an organized strike. Right? Because they're police. And, you you know, if, if, if they, here, if they were allowed to, Think about how bad that could be. They could then do that at any whim through organization. Now, I think John Catanzaro, from all what I can ascertain, is a very good guy. But what if he was not? What if he was a Mussolini? And he said it every every month, strike, and I want another 25000 a guy. I mean, you know, think about why they, why they cannot strike. So I understand your point, and if it was a private sector union, then strike. I get it. But... Let us not forget how this is supposed to work. Both the police and the fire and these 50 thieves calling themselves Alderman and Lori Lightfoot, they work for us. That's the, the psychology of what a government is in America. Now, we've allowed that to go by the wayside. But ultimately, do you want a police force that can can strike? The answer is no. So I get your point, And it's terrible to see them be stripped of their pension or, or they can't be but stripped of their police powers and put on leave without pay i think that's terrible i don't want to see that for the police but i also don't want to see i don't want to see them walk out because some of them do the job because they believe in the job and they love the job and, they, and those are the guys that are of value and those are the guys who are fighting for the the right perspective here and we need those guys so i don't want to see them strike i want to see them win now how does that look i don't know i don't know but the government, the the real fail here is the mayor that would actually weaken the position of the police by putting them home and then exposing the citizens to criminals. And this isn't that's the real crime in this story. Who you know, we already have a massive problem with crime. And this woman has the audacity, the audacity to send those people who protect us from the criminals home without pay. She should be removed from office that you want to fix this. Grab her by that little, by the yep. little pal on her, on her little tiny costume. Grab her by the costume and throw her out of office. And then say, next, who wants to be mayor? And if they do the same thing, you grab them by the little pal. Throw them out. Next. That's how American politics is supposed to work. We're not supposed to say, oh, I there hope she loses. There is zero common sense to try and mess with their morale. Just yeah. let the police do their thing. Give them what they want. It's a shame. And you know what, Chris? It's going to go to, to people hiring private security. That's going to be just like San Francisco. That's where this leads. This is well, epic political the failure. Military police. Yeah. Well, I don't want that either. The German Stasi. You want the feds? We already got the IRS and we already got the FBI. You can want to head federal police. I don't. Thank you very much. Although maybe we should just learn German and give into it. After all, the costumes were better. Policy's still the same.
Can't help but recognize that. 312-642-5600. Actually, I got a guest at 605. Fastest show ever. Jay on the south side. I'm fitting you in, kid. Jay. Hey, it's me, Sean. How you doing? Splendid. I listen to this nonsense coming out of people when they get this government money. We got $1.9 billion, right, in federal money? Uh-huh. And we're going to put that into the the big slushy stew, which is political corruption, for our budget for 2022. Uh-huh. Well, there's only 2.71 million people in the city of Chicago, according to the 2019 census, which means if we just take the $1.9 billion that the Fed gave us, we give each person in the city of Chicago their fair share, they each walk away with $70 million a piece. All right. Now what the hell programs do You're we right. need with that? I got to go hard break, Jay. Love the call. Simple math. Let's make it. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. I always, always enjoy talking to people who did something I always wanted to do. I love that. I love the stories of how they chase something merely out of a desire to do it. Ronnie Marmo, actor, producer, and writer. He's been in numerous films, television series. He's written and currently starring in I'm Not a Comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce, which I believe is in Chicago next week. Ronnie, how are you? Good, Sean. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Anytime, anytime. Well, first of all, two things. Number one, Bunny loves you, and anybody Bunny loves is good enough for me. Bonnie, Number- Bonnie? Bonnie? Bunny is what I call our girl, my producer. You know her by a different name. Oh, um, okay, good. And Lenny, Bru- Lenny Bruce is somebody that I've always been a fan of and admired greatly. And I love his belief structure on freedom and speech. And now with what we're living through, and they crack down on something as, as really important, because that's what comedy is. It makes fun of circumstances and there's always a little bit of truth in it and i find it to be essential in a vibrant society and you see now powers that be taking away that freedom i think this show is more important now than it ever has been and i think you're doing a service to a a great comedian well, thank you, Sean. I have to agree with you. You know, I was asked the other day if uh, if Lenny Bruce would have been canceled if he was around now, and I said he was canceled. He was canceled. Except, except they killed him. That's the difference. He didn't just lose his career. So, so yeah, I agree with you. I think freedom of speech is important. Listen, I do believe it's a funny balance because I think you can say whatever you want to say, but I also think you have to keep in mind there might be consequences for that. So it's really an interesting balance to, like, freedom of speech is absolutely essential but know that it may come with a price, you know? And that's, that's the beauty of it. And what, what Lenny Bruce did in his career is he paid that price. How many times was yeah, he arrested? Yeah, he certainly did. How yeah. many times was he arrested for swearing? Oh, uh, yeah. Times- well, in fact, Chicago, I mean, he got arrested at the Gate of Horn, which is across the street from, it's not there anymore, but it was across the street from where Gibson's is. Uh, and he, you know, he got arrested there, and I think it was 1961. 
And they just, he just, you know, he, listen, he, he just held a mirror up to society. We didn't want to deal with that. It was less about words and more about what he represented. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, and I, I love what he represented. So I was interested. There's a prime series about a female committee, comedian, and everybody thought that um, it was a takeoff on Joan Rivers. Um, but she used in it, I'm trying to think of the name of it. My mind went blank. Um, uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. There it is. And in it, mm-hmm. she really kind of walked along the history of the Lenny Bruce story. And I'm wondering, is, is is she a real person, or is that something that was completely fabricated? Well, I, th- I think she was based on Joan Rivers myself, actually. I've only seen a couple of episodes. I know they have the Lenny Bruce character on there, but uh, which is cool. You know, it's great they have this character on there, but they're not diving too deep into his story, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. but yeah, no, it's cool. I think it's great. I think people love it. I think it gives a new, you know, the younger generation an opportunity to learn about comics at that time, and also to maybe hear Lenny's name, and then hopefully do a, a deeper dive into who he really was. And so it's cool, man. I, I, I think it's a good show, and obviously so does the rest of the world. It's doing great. So, One of the things I love about comedians throughout history, I love that they were able to speak of things that were normally uncomfortable or unpopular. And even if I didn't agree with them philosophically, I enjoyed the fact that they could take a little bit of reality of what everyone was suffering through, make fun of it, and at the end of the night, hundreds of people walked to their car laughing at something that normally would have upset them. It seems to me over the last couple of years that that ability has gone away and everything is controversial. Do you think that maybe if we push back against it, we can get back to that era when it is okay to be offended if you can also tie humor to it or is it going to be this new european idea of right and wrong and things you can't talk about well i I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday and i thought i think sadly we're here to stay for a while but uh with the dave chappelle's of the world saying you know whatever's on their mind i think uh they'll push the envelope to be honest with you it's, it's actually sad because i think people you know, I think sometimes, you know, the smart comics, you, know, you look at like Archie Bunker, right? You look at him back in the 70s, and Archie Bunker today, that show would never get seen lit. But if you look at that show, Archie Bunker was the, he was the, the butt of the joke. Right. For the, for, if you watch that show, it was a very smart show. But, you know, George Jefferson and Sammy Davis and all those people, they were the, actually the heroes of the show. And Archie and Edith Bunker, she was, they were the heroes, and Archie was the butt of the joke. People aren't sticking around long enough. Listen, I find that with my play. I have a few bits in the play that offend people, and they're not even listening to the whole story. They just quickly are turning off to the idea. And it's frustrating, but all you can do is hope that, uh, you know, people will start to listen at some point, you know. But it's, it, it's been an interesting journey and battle on my end. So. And, and you hope that common sense kind of comes back. You, you know, I'm so blessed in life because I was born in the late 60s, and I lived through that era. When regardless of of what religion you were, of what race you were, of what gender you were, you could actually make fun of each other for it. And through that heckling each other, through that teasing of each other, I built some of my best friendships. I really did. And, you know, I have two kids now, and they're a little older. They're not young. None of that takes place. None of that. And it was something when I was a kid that even your families, you know, participated in. Oh, here's the great kid. You know, and you made fun of each other for that. And you grew up under similar circumstances. I mean, you're from Brooklyn. You lived pretty much the same thing I did. 
And don't you think that future generations are missing out on that closeness you get from making fun of each other? It's It seems to be a very unusual time and, and and i'm glad my kids are older but i know that my grandkids are going to face this and i'm wondering what it's going to be like when we stop seeing the the fun in interacting with each other no i i agree with you i think we're already there you know for any for us to have any real progress or real change in certain issues like you know I mean, obviously, racism and uh, just just all kinds of different issues. We certainly have to. The only way there's real change is that the pendulum swings so far to one side, and then hopefully it evens out in the middle, right? And then yeah. and then there's a new normal, a new reality. But when it comes to comedy, comedy was always very healing. It was always an opportunity to bring people together. Uh, certainly, the George Carlin's, Richard Pryor's, and obviously Lenny, Lenny Bruce's, those people were able to just like hold the mirror up to society challenge some of the ideas and laugh about it and now i think i don't know i mean my daughter will be 14 next month and she's constantly correcting me you can't say that dad what do you mean i can't say that what do you mean i can't you know what I mean? could you imagine you correcting your father how would that you can't say that what's the matter why who cares if he's spanish you're right who cares so it's, it's old ideals of like you know because i don't you know what, what i never say is you know my buddy this white guy he's so funny no so i've never said that you know, you you have to learn. Listen, it was all passed on from our families, and it's like, what's funny, what's not, what's hurtful, what's not. It's imperfect, and I don't know how it's how it's going to level out. I'm trying to do my part by doing the show. You know what I mean? So, how does Ronnie Marmel go from Brooklyn and go down to Hollywood? What did you do? Did you write a movie and sell it? Did you go down there and work in soft porn like Sylvester Stallone? How exactly did you break into the business? You heard about me, huh? No, I'm just, uh, Stallone and I, he, he was my, he was actually my body double in that soft porn. No, um, <laughs> so what happened? What happened? You know, listen, I just, uh, I got a job. You ever hear the play Tony and Tina's Wedding? Of course I did. I know. Are was, you kidding me? Kurt is a dear friend of mine who was That was the, my the first founder. paid job. I played Tony. I got married like 800 times. So uh, I got the job doing the national tour and I ended up in Los Angeles and, uh, and, you know, the thing is, is I love being from where I'm from in my neighborhood. Was, you know, that always be a part of me. But even when I was there growing up, I always knew there was something else. And I just wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to pursue. I, I knew I was an artist. I didn't know how to label it exactly. And uh, it led me out to L.A. And I've been here for 20 years. But New York is still very much a part of my life. I, I commute there every couple of weeks, really. And, uh, and now Chicago, I'm in love with your beautiful city. I uh you know, we had a great run two years ago. I could have just closed the show and moved on, but I really felt like we had to come back and finish what we started. I, I fell in love with Chicago. So, so what? You know. now you've written a couple of movies? Yeah, I've written a few movies, yeah. Do we know them? Yeah. Come on, come on. I'm a movie. You want, you want names now? All right, West of Brooklyn. You could go on YouTube and see it for free, which pisses me off. That's another story. But uh, West of Brooklyn, there's a couple of things. I, I've written a few films. I wrote this play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lenny Bruce play and, uh, and some other things. and uh, So I write, I produce, and do all that stuff. You know? All right, 1990, I'm in Las Vegas. Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. I dance with Susan Anton. Can you top that? Uh, I probably can top it, but, uh, you know, my girlfriend's listening, so I have to... All right, you know, fair enough. 1990. Did I say 80? I meant 90. 1990. You meant 90? 90, 1990. Actually, now, now I remember you. Yeah, I remember seeing you. We're in <laughs> Vegas, were you? So tell me, where's the show... How do we get tickets? What do we do? It's at the Venus Cabaret Theater on North Southport. Uh, if you know the Mercury Theater, it's connected. They built this really swanky, cool cabaret, which is perfect for Lenny and the show. 
And so it's in the Cabaret Theater, and if you go to LennyBruceOnStage.com, you come see the show. That's, that's where you get tickets, Lenny Bruce on Stage. And uh, we open officially next Friday, but we, we go into previews on Wednesday, a week from tonight. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Come out and see it. I hope you get to see it, Sean. You going to come out? I do, too. I, I live in Florida. No, I'm, I, I do. I live in Florida, but I, I'm back in Chicago. I go back and forth and back and forth, and I, I am going to be in town. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to try and come and see it. What are the times? Well, how does it work? Is you, it? you can't tell me you love Lenny Bruce and interview me and not see the show. What That's why I want to go see it. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I mean, I do. I want to go see it. But what are the times? When can I go? Because, you know, I do the show. You I do, could go I Thursdays at 8. You could go Fridays at 8. You could go Saturdays at 3. You could go Saturdays at 8. Okay. And every other week I'm going to do a Sunday matinee because I'll be commuting weekly back to L.A. But So every other week you could also see it on Sunday. All that's on the website, but you should try to see it. I'm going to run at least through the rest of the year, and if people keep coming, I'll keep doing it. You know what I mean? I love it. Very good. So if you if you see right, a so. short, very handsome guy making a big stink about his tickets not being at will call, that's me, just short in case you're looking. Let me, oh. let me Google you to see if this is true. Short and handsome? How tall are you, Sean? Five nine. Well, I started at five nine, but I'm getting old now, you know, and I'm a little afraid so to be measured. Nine, so really, you're five seven. That's what people say, right? They bump it up two inches. I think we shrink, man. I'm fifty three years old. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I'm shrinking, but I'm never going to admit that, brother. But in sure, the meantime, you really I wear it well. Yeah. What, what are you wearing right now, Sean? Flip flops. Is that inappropriate? No, no, no. This is fine. Flip, I love this kind of conversation. I'm in Florida. Flip flops. I've got Callaway shorts on. And I've got exotic underwear on, along with a button-down yeah, shirt. Yeah, fantastic. So, what is it like? Is it like one of those bright shirts that you guys wear in Miami? What part of Florida are you? No, I'm on the other coast. I'm in, I'm in Naples, so it's got a polo guy on it. You know, you have to oh, have really? a polo guy, or they won't let you get in your car. Sean, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. How close are you to West Palm? I'm not that far. In fact, I drive over for dinner a lot. I'm, I, I like the East Coast for dinner, and then I like to get the hell out of there. It reminds me of Chicago. I'm doing five performances of a show February 18th through 20th. Uh, 20th I'm going to make you a deal. Those I'm definitely going to see. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, Feb- February 18th. I go to West Palm. It's also on the same website. And then in, uh, March, in May, I'm doing Tampa, doing five shows in Tampa. Tampa, the old man lives up there, so if you see a guy with a crutch yelling at you, swearing, demanding a Shabbos, my dad went to go see you, all right? Is he 5'9", too, Sean? No, he, 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 he's 5'6". Five, 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 six. He's 5'6", my mother's 4'11". I'm lucky I didn't end up like Mike Madigan. I'm a giant compared to how I could have ended up. So thank you very much. <laughs> By the way, you're from Brooklyn. I don't know a lot of basketball players from there. How tall are you, kid? I'm six foot. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I'm You're an Italian guy from Brooklyn, so that makes you 5'9". So one of us is 5'9". That's the best no, part I of the story. I'm six foot and relatively handsome, according to my mother and my girlfriend. <laughs> Those are the only ones that matter. I want to thank you yeah. so much for joining me. Ronnie Marmo, I'm looking forward to it. And don't be surprised if I don't pop in on Thursday, all right? Sure, listen, don't, don't make me nervous, all right? <laughs> Thanks for the warning. Take care of yourself. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. We'll be back after this. Okay, buddy. Everybody feels good listening to Elvis. Somebody used to feel good going to comedy shows. I really do think it's a big problem. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Will comedy, will it return to America? Will the sense of humor, will we, we be able to poke fun at each other again? Or no, is that always, by the way, say, I cannot be the only person who built fantastic friendship friendships from making fun of each other. I, I, I miss that. 
about a society. I, 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 we did that. That's what we did. We made fun of each other. And in Monroe's Park, they could be dangerous. There's a couple guys there. Whew. In fact, the Monroe's Park combo does not have to do with beef and sausage. That means a Monroe's Park combo is when you get beat up and he takes your girlfriend. That's a Monroe's Park combo. But I'm going to the city, so I'm going to have to hire the Pinkertons because I'm not going to park. I mean, what's a parking ticket now? Like $6,000? Then they throw the boot on your car. I mean, Dan Proft has lost I don't know how many cars to the boot. I'm not going to go through that. And uh, especially with all these situations that Chicago is facing right now. Major retailers have left, and also crime has settled in. The loop isn't absent of crime, and at the pan... Sounds like a Mary the Badges traffic report. There's a shooting at Six Corners. Traffic's a bear. Pandemic to it. It means you may see for rent signs instead of sale signs along State Street. We counted at least eight businesses in the loop that are gone. We have had some issues with regards to people feeling less safe. We have safety ambassadors. We have overnight security, unarmed overnight security. Unarmed overnight security. Those are called victims, dummy. Why would they be unarmed? And you know, both these instances, both the crime and the mayhem and the chaos of a once great city collapsing and the change in the social continuity that we built over hundreds of years, both destroyed because of politicians of the same party. We work very closely with the Chicago Police Department. Two blocks to the east from State Street on the Mag Mile, 20-plus stores are shuttered. It is sad to see a lot of the places closed, though, especially since this is such a busy area. Um, it could be post-COVID. I don't, I don't know why. The twins are traveling nurses and say Chicago isn't the only city having this problem. We've seen a lot in our hometown that have been closed as well. Crimes like this also adding fuel to the fire. Nordstrom broke it into back in April and zip code 60611 covering the Mag Mile and Streeterville. The Cook County State's attorney has issued 38 charges for retail theft. In the same area code, there's been charges for 70 gun cases. 23 have been convicted. It's chaos. It's absolute mayhem. And the mayor comes out and picks a fight with the very people that are the only thing protecting us from the chaos. And the outrage, as far as I'm concerned, although I was optimistic when I saw the protest, the first one, I thought the second one was lame. I think the, the pushback, I think the recognition that Catanzaro is offering a very reasonable settlement of testing people per day if they have the, the, the so-called virus go home. I mean, after all, they are the only thing between us and the mob. And the, the more they disappear, the more restraints that are put on them, the more demands that are put on them, the more victims you're going to create. So how does Chicago come back? How does Chicago come back? How does society come back from this kind of destruction of the social engineers who refuse to recognize their own failure? The idea that Lori Lightfoot can come out and talk about this budget and promise these very same things that they have been promising, by they I mean the Democrat Party, have been promising for as long as anyone can remember. They keep sticking the fork into the light socket. And they wonder why they get shocked. It is, it, is, it is something to see 
in watching what has happened to what I think is a is a formerly great city. So the people don't like her. The police don't like her. Firemen don't like her. Municipal workers don't like her. Who likes her? Who likes her? How has she retained her seat? Is there a mechanism that can get her out of there? Or are we just going to be held to this kind of failure? And then if you can't get her out of there, how are you going to get Peanut Head out of there? Kim Fox. She just won. She just won. Who are the people that voted for, for her? One can only conclu- conclude it's the people who, who benefit from their kind of failure. And their victims do not seem to want to mount up a resistance to it. Because after all, this is not going to stop until the citizens of Chicago stop voting Democrat. Because the names are fungible. The failure is systemic. 312-642-5600. You know, you, you think about modern day Democrats, Marxist mafia. Where's the joy? Where's the fun? Where's the success? These are all things we're not used to. We're Americans. We're joyful. We're successful. We're independent. Where is all that? Where is that? In fact, we are so beaten down of character. Professional comedians are afraid to be funny. Are afraid to say things. This is they got us just where they want us. Afraid to tell your kids things and stories of your past, of reality, of living. You have to have their new version of old history. It has to be painted as evil and mean and horrible and suffrage. Rather than what it was. Sure, there was some unhappiness. There always is. But it was a lot more fun. A lot more... Peace and tranquility. A lot more joy, a lot more laughing. These new Democrats, they're about as fun as a planter's wart. There's no fun. I was going to say genital wart, but I figured I'd clean it up. We have an eight-year-old listening. There's no fun. They're hopeless. Their existence under their regime is futile. It's pointless. And if you're real good, somehow you can navigate. Guaranteed to be extorted, robbed, maligned. That's what they have, because Marxism, communism, and collectivism, not a lot of smiles. Remember those old videos of the Soviets walking around gray? Looked like they got their tax bill that day, because they did. Not very fun. Dave and Wheaton. Hey, Sean. um, What you were saying about the different uh, ethnicities and things like that, I don't think people these days know the difference between racial and racist. And people making... Uh, jokes about people's ethnicity is no big deal. I was watching Red Fox on Sanford and Son the other day, and he said, oh, there's so many blacks here, we could make a Tarzan movie. Only he didn't say blacks. He used the N-word. And all the black people were laughing. And when did did people suddenly, black people... Here's the thing, Dave. Back Back then, all the people were laughing. All the people were laughing. And you know, it's funny, when we were talking, you can't remake those television shows. Those television shows that at that time, they didn't divide people. Those shows didn't divide people. Those shows brought people together. And the, the, the way in which we interacted was far more peaceful and joyful. I am telling you, the Marxist movement, the collectivist movement, 
strips that out of life. You look around at the people today. Look around at all of them. Everybody's got that fear, fear of being judged. By who? Who's going to judge you that you should care about? Who's going to judge what you say that you should care about? A Marxist? A government supremacist? Is going to call you a racist? They only believe that everything should be approved by the state. That's why this is, these are going to be rough times if we don't understand to reject their opinion. Reject their opinion. Don't let them tell us what's acceptable anymore. Do what you want. Remember the old liberals? Do what you feel. Those days are long gone, but we're going to bring them back, Dave, because I'm going to prove to everybody. The real liberal in this country is the person who believes in the principles of it and the, and the, and the principles of it. I'm the liberal. The liberal isn't that fat pancake with shoes on pretending to be governor making mandates and restrictions and rules. It's me. I'm a liberal. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the call. Another Dave Gurney. Hey, Sean. Uh, yeah. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought. No, don't worry, buddy. Bad connection. Um, hey, I I just heard a, a reading of a Roger Kimball who uh, did a dissertation at Hillsdale College, and I and I thought of you, and I just wanted to put you in touch with this where you can punch it up on the internet and maybe at your own leisure read yeah, go it. Right ahead. Um, it's well, I'm not going to read it. I, I just want to tell you uh, and anybody who's listening that might want to punch it up. Um, it's by Roger Kimball at Imp. How is it? Imprimus. Imprimus. That's how you. That, yeah. That's how you get to it, and it's yeah. called the January sixth insurrection hoax okay and it cuts to the chase and says exactly what happened on that day and how we have been meant to believe that something more than what actually happened has been put on us and how we cannot fall for it Right. And I, I thought of, I thought of you right away, and I said I got to get this to you. I didn't want to go on the air. I just no, wanted to get the information no, to you. So it's fine because you want to know something. It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic, even though it doesn't fit into what we were talking about. It kind of does because years ago, when I was a kid, men would have looked at that and said, "Look at these idiots." Men would have looked at that and said, "Look at this buffoon. What's he going to do? He's going to wipe uh, uh, his derriere with Nancy Pelosi's stapler." That wouldn't have been called an insurrection 30 years ago. They would have made fun of the people that did it and the futility in their actions. But the idea that this is somehow, oh, they're going to overthrow the government. Really? Nobody told anybody you're going to overthrow the government. Where were all the so-called weapons? Is it the horn on his hat that was a weapon? Or was it the chubby people that were st trying to fit through the, uh, the, uh, the door at the same time? Or was it the 90-pound girl climbing through the window? Big threat. Let's shoot her in the neck. Man's man. No, no common sense anymore. We're being told what to think and how to think by the most crooked, corrupt scourge among us, Democrats. Sandra. Hi. Uh, I love you, Sean. Um, oh, thank you. Today we had our quarter three uh, results meeting. I work for a major company here in Don't Chicago headquarters here. Yeah. And, yeah, 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Divisional president of human resources held it for 30 minutes the first was about diversity and inclusion and equity and how everybody has to feel like they're included every day that they come to work. And then 20 minutes we talked about what's going on with the money, how, you know, all the sales and stuff and what happened, what we need to do better. 
And then to, the last 10 minutes, again, diversity and inclusion. This is a major company, worldwide company. Spent 30 minutes on this. As if you need them to tell you how to behave. Look at what we've become. This is like the old videos when they would make fun of uh, the way in which Japan did business and how they ha- all had to swear allegiance to the company. And it was the company and the company and the company. Remember, they made, f- they made fun of it. Uh, there was that actor that was trying to be Batman that made the movie uh, when Japan bought the car company. I mean, you used to make fun of people that would let the c- wanted to, to behave the way the company approved them. Look what you've done to America in a very short period of time. What the company suits think of you has no relevance in your life. They don't tell you're going to tell me how to interact with my fellow man. Get the hell out of here. It's ridiculous, Sandra. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it very much. You imagine this grown adults, some company nerd is going to come down and tell you, you know, uh, this is how I want you to act and interact with people. These are things to say and not to say. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. Be careful what you wish. You just might get it. And you just might destroy the only country on the planet that's designed for the unalienable rights of the individual. Not some imaginary society where only the corrupted roaches get to make the rules. 312-642-5600. You know we Always love them. Killed over a light bill. It was before the Illinois Democrats rigged the system to ComEd. Imagine what Marvin Gaye's father would have done over that bill. He wouldn't have stopped with just poor Marvin. Boy, could he sing. Ryan in Plainfield. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd kind of like to piggyback on the last lady who said that her, her company spent 30 minutes on this. Okay. Mine is a, I'm in a global company and I'm middle management. Okay. And it was mandatory for us to sit through three hours of a conference call. And oh. in essence, the three hours. And uh, it, it wasn't an open discussion style. It was you type your answer in, they got a chance to answer it. You didn't get any rebuttals. But it was all, every single bit of this was, it's the white guy's fault. It's the middle white guy. Uh, and, and. You know, it, it, that's all it was. One guy made a com, uh, one of the uh, trainers, if you will, made a comment that it, yeah, it reminds me of that teacher in uh, in New York who said, "We're we're trying to make the people feel guilty for being white. We're trying to make it the kids that." It's exactly what these things are. These aren't right. these aren't anything productive. It's about trying to build a, 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 a guilt you don't deserve. Well, you know, I got off of that call, and then it dawned on me. I was watching a program on Germany, Nazi. Mm-hmm. This is the beginnings of the same thing. It's not the violence of it yet, but it's all the Nazis were saying it was because of the Jews we don't have any any work. It's because of the Jews we don't have this. It made the Jewish people the, the demon. Do you and know what they accused them of? Here. They accused the Jews of being too independent. Not mindful of society and too capitalistic. Well, like, and that may be in the end. It's just I, I know the program that I was watching. This is what they were spewing and how Hitler got into it. And I, it just kind of clicked with me saying, wait, they're making the white guy, the bad guy for everything that goes on or happens to not go on in their life at all. No, um, I, I just was amazed that the guy said, you know, because of white society, I can no longer go out after dark with a hoodie on. <laughs> and it's it, it infuriated me. 
Really? Do you know that Sean yeah. Thompson show has hoodies? I have hoodies that if you go to five, uh, 560theanswer.com, you could get your own hoodie on my show. Just a little plug. But I will tell you um, <laughs> this. Do any of your the people who made you go to this course, did anybody who taught this course, does any of them know you? Do they know who you love, how you've lived your life, who your friends are, who your that's, relatives are? Which makes it racism in my book. Bingo. Because you're teaching, you know, because you're white, you don't know what it's like to be black. Well, that's true, but you can have empathy and understand. You might not have all the scars from it, but, but you could also you know understand. you could also know what it's like to never judge somebody because of their color. You well, could also know what it's like to I'm, live your life of honest and integrity and non-judgment. And In fact, love people for of, who they are. Right, and that's one of my questions, and I don't know if you can answer this or not. But it's you know again, I'm in my mid fifties, so we were brought up. You know, race doesn't matter. You judge people by on who they doesn't are. Their no, exactly. Character. You love and people for who they are, not who they aren't. That's that's simple advice. It's something my whole family always told me. Everybody in my family. You love people for who they are, not who they are not. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. End of the show. Good news is, 21 hours, I'm back. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.